Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen, and today is August 6th. First and foremost, before we jump into today's verses, I need to apologize because I had a slip of the tongue yesterday and I didn't even catch it in my editing. Sometimes my mouth moves faster than my brain <laughs> and I say things wrong. Yesterday, I said that the Haunty was over a group of the Nephite army, and I meant that he was over a group of the Lamanite army. Makes a lot more sense that way. So I apologize for that, first and foremost. I am aware of my error, and I apologize. Like I said, sometimes I talk faster than I think. All right, so today we're going to be talking about some verses in chapter 48. Now, what's interesting to me is to see the comparison between Amalekiah and Moroni, that we see here in this chapter is so stark. And because of how stark it is, because it's so black and white, we really get a better understanding of attributes of the adversary versus attributes of the Savior. So Amalekiah, after he rose to power through deceit and cunning and deception, his goal was to make the Lamanites angry at the Nephites. He was trying to make them want to go up to war against the Nephites. Now listen to the wording here. I love it. It's a phrase that we see used oftentimes throughout the scriptures, but it just got me thinking today about what it really means. Verse three says, therefore he had accomplished his design for he had hardened the hearts of the Lamanites and blinded their minds and stirred them up to anger insomuch that he had gathered together a numerous host to go to battle against the Nephites. Now that phrase, stir up to anger, what does that mean? I mean, I understand what it means in this circumstance. He was actually trying to make them angry and get them to go to war against people. But what does it look like in our lives? What does it mean to stir someone up to anger? And how can we be peacemakers instead of people who stir others up to anger? When I read that, it made me think about when someone comes to us or confides in us or is trying to talk through something with us, are we the type of people that help them see the peace in the situation, who help them try to feel uh, safe and happy and joyful? Or are we the kind of people that point out the negative and stir them to anger in their situations? Now, I don't think we have to be doormats. And I don't think we have to brush everything under the rug, but I don't think it is the Lord's way for us to be stirred up in anger. And I don't think it's the Lord's way for us to try to stir other people up in anger. This is hard to do sometimes because a lot of times if someone comes to us and is talking to us about a situation, we want to validate their feelings. Someone comes to you and they say, oh, my husband's driving me crazy. And you say, oh yeah, man, I can't believe he did that. We're validating their feelings, yes, but we're also stirring up their anger. So as I was thinking about that today, I thought, how can I better be a peacemaker for the people around me while still validating them? I don't have a good answer for you right now, <laughs> but it was something that I was thinking a lot about. How can I be a peacemaker in the hearts and lives of those around me while still helping them feel validated in their feelings and loved and secure? We're told several times throughout the scriptures that the spirit of contention comes from the adversary, which on the other side of that coin would mean that the spirit of peace comes from our savior. Elder Marvin J. Ashton in 1985 said, 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Never will peace and hatred be able to abide in the same soul. Permanent peace will elude those individuals or groups whose objective is to condemn, discredit, rail at, or tear down. True Christians have no time for contention. If I do not have peace within me, others around me will suffer. Now, this topic really stood out to me because we live in such a polarized day and age. Whether we're talking about politics or whether we're talking about schools reopening or whether we're talking about masks or it seems like any topic you bring up, we are going to have a very polarized view of those things. And nowhere is that more obvious than on social media, right? But this was a good reminder for me today that even if I disagree with someone, there are ways to disagree peacefully. And it was also a good reminder for me that I don't always have to tell people that I disagree. Sometimes I can just listen. But I love what Elder Ashton says here in this quote that true Christians have no time for contention. Not in our lives, not in our hearts, and certainly not on social media. And that was a really great reminder for me today because sometimes I get caught up in that. So that's what we know of Amalekiah. He's a fraud. He's deceitful. He's angry. He's hateful and spiteful. He's a liar. He is this bad dude. Now let's take a look at what we know about Moroni. Verse 11 tells us, And Moroni was a strong and mighty man. He was a man of a perfect understanding, yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in liberty and the freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery, yea, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he had bestowed upon his people, a man who did labor exceedingly for the welfare and safety of his people, yea, and he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ. And he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been, and were, and ever would be, like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Now, there are a couple things I love about that, but my favorite part of that description of Moroni is what we see there at the end, because it says that if all men were like Moroni, that Satan would have no power over our hearts, which teaches me that as we increase in virtue, Satan decreases in power. We often talk about the millennium, that incredible time where Satan will be bound and I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I used to think of Satan actually being tied up. But Satan is bound because of the virtue of the hearts of the people. He is bound by our choices. He's bound because he has no power anymore because of the righteousness of the people. And what I love here is that that's something that we can be striving for now. President Kimball once said, when Satan is bound in a single home, when Satan is bound in a single life, the millennium has already begun in that home and in that life. We can bind the adversary through our virtue. We can bind the adversary through our righteous choices and decisions. 
And it seems to me from this description of Moroni that he was there, that he was so virtuous and so Christ-like that the adversary didn't have power over his heart anymore. That is certainly something I want to strive for. Now, the other parts that I like about the description of him is it says, his soul did joy in liberty and the freedom of his country, and his heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God. So that leads me to a question. If you were to answer this question about yourself, or if someone was going to answer it for you, what would you say? What makes your soul joy? How would you fill in that question? My soul joys in what? For Moroni, it was liberty and freedom for his people to worship how they wanted. But what makes your soul joy? And what makes your heart swell? Moroni's heart swelled with thanksgiving when he remembered the many blessings that Heavenly Father had given him. But what makes your heart swell? And what makes your soul joy? And then finally it says, Yea, he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ. He had sworn an oath, he had made a covenant, and he was living actively every day to keep that covenant. My friends, it was that faith that Moroni had in Christ that led him to be the man that he was. It's what led him to the kind of life where the adversary couldn't have power over his heart anymore. His faith in Christ led him to act like Christ, to serve like Christ, and to love like Christ. My friends, I testify that the road to a Christ-like life begins with a firm faith in him and love for him. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to subscribe, to like, to comment, and to share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.